All right, we're going to talk about what it means to be a man. Now, you girls say, well, that won't apply to me. Well, it will too, because you young girls one day are going to marry one of them, a man. And so you're going to want to pick out a real man. You don't want half a man. And I see a lot of girls marrying half of a man. Now, the answer as to what a real man is would differ from one region of the country to another, from one social group to another. But you know, to sum it up, a real man is somebody who does his duty to take care of his family, doesn't shun the hard work or the trials that come along so that he can feed his wife, his children, keep a roof over their head, provide for their education, and make sure their life is secure. That's a real man. Now, a real man may never pick up a gun or a knife or a hatchet or a chainsaw or drive a tractor or do anything that's tough and burly. But he's still a real man if he does his duty. If he does it well, and if he does it with grace and with peace, gentleness and firmness, that's a real man. Now, when you talk about young men reaching that point of adulthood, what does it take for you to graduate and be a real man? It takes a will to suffer the pain of doing your duty. A French philosopher said, all work is pain. <laughs> and it is. I'd a lot rather play than work. So what I do is I find some kind of work that's sort of like play, and that way I can enjoy my work. And if I have to do the same thing very long, whether it's play or work, it gets boring. I can't stand to fish more than three or four hours. If I had to fish six hours, I'd just get plumb tired of it, you know. Same thing with hunting. I like to go out hunting now that I'm 60 years old, about an hour before sunset when it's 65 degrees, 60 at the coldest, uphill from the house. So when I shoot something, it will slide down the hill into my backyard and I won't have to carry it out. If I have to do much more than that, it gets to be work and I don't enjoy it anymore. Same thing about fishing. It's got to be real pleasant and very poetic out that day. And I need to go out about five in the evening so I can catch the sun going down when the fish are biting and get home before dark, not be too tired so my wife won't be put out having to clean the fish, you know. And so I'm real considerate. And that's what a real man is. He's somebody who does his duty. Now, it's painful sometimes. To work. I hate weed eating. Weed eating's a horrible job. I can weed eat for about a half hour, but longer than that, I'm going to find somebody that'll do it for $2 an hour. Some illegal kid somewhere, you know, that'll weed eat for $2 an hour. But sometimes a man has to do what he doesn't want to do. And that's where the dividing line is. It's when it gets to be painful, it gets to be hard, and it's boring. Just Sick, boring, painful, boring. And you go on and do it because it's got to be done. It's got to be done today. You can't put it off till tomorrow. You do it now. And that's what a man is. Now, we live in a time when society is not producing as many men as it used to produce. There are a lot of freeloaders. There are a lot of lazy bums. Our jails are full of people, basically, for one reason, and that's because they're lazy.
I just got back from the prison this morning, about a hundred inmates. One of them stood up and told about how when he was a young man, he tried to rob a bank and took some hostages and law came out and the FBI came out and he had a shootout with them and he shot two of them and he took a 45, stepped out on the porch, put the 45 to his chest, was going to shoot himself, and a sharpshooter shot the 45 out of his hand. And he lived, and he got saved, and they gave him 160 years in prison. He'll probably die before he serves all of his time. 160 years from the time he was about 19 years old. The rest of his life is spent locked up in a little bitty cell. You know why he was there? He's a lazy bum at 19 years old. He didn't want to work for a living. He wanted to get a lot of money, and he wanted to get it fast. Now, I know that most of you are never going to think about robbing or stealing, anything like that. But there's a fellow who lives down the road from me, about 25 years old, and he's never had a job over three days. You see him walking the road. He's a scraggly-looking old fellow, even more scraggly than I. And he's a skinny boy from eating poorly. He lives in a house that's falling down. I went into his house, and the kitchen floor had rotted through, and they'd thrown some old carpet down, and there's a hole literally sunk a foot where the house set low to the ground. It sunk a foot so that you're walking on rotted, raft, rotted floor joists and rotted flooring on some old wet carpet kind of dipped down in the middle of the floor, and when it rains and water runs under the house, the carpet in the kitchen is wet and it mildews and it stinks. That's the house he lives in. Now, you know, if Anthony or I or Dwayne had a house like that, well, then a week we'd have a good floor in it. We'd, we'd find something. If we had to cut old poles off the side of the road and, and split them with an axe and hew them down, we'd make a floor. We wouldn't be walking in the mud. And the outside of the house is run down. And, you know, he just he's going to fix it one day. Someday he's going to fix it. Someday he's going to get a job. Someday somebody's going to realize how smart he is. And by the way, he's extremely intelligent. He's got an IQ that's probably somewhere around 140, 150, far higher than mine, nearly twice as big. And yet with all of his high IQ and his intellect, he has not the will to suffer the pain of getting out and working. He told me the other day, he said, well, I'm going to go down and ask for a job down there at the corner. I said, I'll take you down right now. He said, oh, well, they're probably going to be closed pretty soon. I said, no, we can get there before they close. He said, well, I believe I'll go tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, all right, you do that. Well, he, he never got around to going. I said, you know, if I were you, I said this to him to his face. I said, if I were you, I'd go down and I'd live under the bridge next to that factory. I'd get me some cardboard and I'd make me a place to live under the bridge since he's so far away from the job site. And I'd get a job there making $8 an hour or whatever they pay. And I'd go back under my bridge at nighttime. And within two weeks, I'd have enough money to rent one of those little apartments not too far away or one of those old junky trailers. And within two months, I'd have enough money to buy me an old car and I'd have food on the table. Within one year, I would be at working on a better job. I'd have a good car and I'd be able to drive greater distance. I'd be working on a better job. Within two years, I would be buying a piece of property somewhere. Within five years, I'd own a tractor and a truck and a car, and I'd have a good house that I'd built and a piece of property, and I'd be making my way in life. But this fella, five years from now, 
He'll still be waiting on life to come along and work out somehow for him. You know, all that's wrong with him is he's just bone lazy. He just does not want the pain, the boredom of working at a job all day long without great reward. See, a real man is somebody who does that. I told him, I said, do you realize no woman will ever want you for a husband? You've got nothing to offer. You've got nothing to give. No woman will ever want to marry a man who cannot take care of her. Now, a fellow said to me that day, he said, well, I'm thinking about getting married. I said, you are? He said, yes. I said, where do you live? He said, I live with mom and dad. I said, uh, wh what kind of vehicle do you have? He said, well, I'm driving dad's truck. I said, what kind of job is you, have you got? He said, well, I was working for my uncle, but he laid me off. And I said, and when you get married, what kind of vehicle are you going to use to go on your honeymoon with? And where are you going to live when you bring your bride back home? And where are you going to buy groceries? And she's going to be pregnant. You're going to have to see a doctor, have that baby delivered, maybe need some medicine. Where are you going to get all that money? Oh, I think I'll get a good job. <laughs> I said, son, you're not yet ready to get married. You ain't ready to think about getting married. You're not a man. I said, until you become a man, don't even consider it. You're still a boy. Well, I'm 23 years old. I said, you're a boy. You'll always be a boy until you can face responsibility and make a way for yourself in life. We live in a time when men are not being made by society. Just this morning, I was riding along with a fellow, talking to him, and he said, you know, when my wife came along when she was young, when she was just 12 years old. Her parents made her buy all her clothes. And he said she had to babysit and do other chores for people to get the money. And then she had to learn to ration her money out because she wouldn't have any new clothes to wear. That's the only way she could get her clothes. And she came from a rather wealthy family, by the way. And he said her and her brother both were raised that way. And now... His wife is very frugal. That means she doesn't go out and waste the money that he makes. She saves the money and she is wise in the way she furnishes the house, buying secondhand stuff if she can find it and that sort of thing. And so he and his wife get along just wonderfully and have no problem with finances, even though they're not making a lot of money yet, young couple. He said, but you know, she has a younger brother that was born 10 years after the last child. Came along when the couple were quite a bit older. He said by that time they had kind of gotten the grandparent mentality rather than the parent mentality. And they relaxed. They didn't make him buy his clothes. They gave him an allowance. Now, you know, when you give kids an allowance, you are a Democrat. When you give kids an allowance, then you are a socialist. You're into the welfare program. Kids should work and earn every dime they get. Now, he said that younger brother was given what he needed. He, he was furnished with a computer and TV and whatever else that he might need and clothes and skateboards and bicycles were bought for him and he said now that he's grown he's a lazy bum that cannot get a job and hold it and cannot work 
and still living with mama. I remember one time years and years ago, a man came to me. Well, let me see, it was the woman came to me. And she said, my son just will not work. He was, I think he must have been 28 or 30 years old at that time. Said he just won't work and hold down a job. By the way, he was very bright, very intelligent person. And she said, he just lives at home. What should I do? I said, it's real easy. I said, I can give you a real easy answer for that. I said, I'll tell you something that'll cure him completely. She said, what's that? I said, change the lock on your door. And when he comes home in the evening, tell him he doesn't live there anymore and put all his clothes on the front porch and tell him he's on his own. She said, but I couldn't do that. I said, I know, and that's the reason he's going to stay a sissy and a weakling and never be a man is because you love him too much. And you're not willing to do the tough thing and allow him to be a man. I said, the reason he's the way he is is because you've harbored him, protected him, kept him from being hurt, kissed his wounds, and made sure he had every need met. And you've not allowed him to be the man and provide for himself. She didn't do it, just as I knew she wouldn't. And I saw him not long ago. He, he stayed a sissy, a wimp, all of his life. He'll die an old wimp, and his kids will all be little wimps because he doesn't know. He never learned himself what it meant to be a man. Now, it's wonderful if you have parents that constrain you, young man, constrain you to work, constrain you to be responsible. They're, it's a lesson that you will inevitably learn how to be a man. You can't help it. You may gripe. You may complain. You may say, make my brother do it. You may say, I did that yesterday. You may say, uh, I, I did it right. And your daddy will say, you didn't go out and do it again. But it's making a man out of you. Because employers are that way. That's what employers will do. Or if you go to working for somebody's a contractor, you'll do it right. And they'll say, I don't like it. Tear it up and do it again. Repaint it. Rebuild it. You'll have to do it to get your check. Some of you may be blessed to have a daddy who makes you face responsibility. You girls the same way, you know. Uh, girls need to learn to work too and be responsible. And your mother will give you chores and jobs and teach you to do things that you just get tired of doing and you just feel like she's just using you. And sometimes parents do use daughters. That's a wonderful thing to have them that you can use them. And it's a wonderful thing to have sons that get big enough where you can use them. You can't have two parents taking care of ten kids. The kids have to turn around and take care of the parents at some point. So that's a wonderful thing. But a lot of young men never had fathers who taught them to be men. Their fathers were passive and loving and gentle and kind and wussies. And so the boy grows up to be dependent grows up to expect everybody to provide for him and meet his needs. He's a softy. He likes to play ball. He likes to get out and ride his bicycle. But he feels like he's being abused if you ask him to work. So if you have a daddy who didn't train you, you're faced with a dilemma. You can either take it as it's been given to you, and the girls will look at you and say, I don't want him. He, he's just a playboy. Or you can decide to make a man out of yourself. Uh, same goes with fathers who 
you really never become a man yourself. You've never faced responsibility. You can make a man out of yourself if your father failed to make one out of you. You say, how do I do that? Stop procrastinating. Stop blaming. Stop excusing yourself. Get down and do the hard, the nitty-gritty, and the tough. Do it today. You say, I don't know how. I remember an Amish fella that had a, about a third grade education. Couldn't hardly read at all. And, I mean, he'd broken wild Mustangs. And he'd built barns and houses and run pipes for springs and repaired old motors and just done everything that needed to be done. But he'd never been in education. And he decided he wanted to go to Bible college. I discouraged him from it. Uh, this fellow was a confident, aggressive fella, but he was getting total, totally out of his element. It's like taking somebody who can't hold a tune, said they're going to be a concert singer. And you just kind of say to him, well, maybe you ought to look at something else in life than concert singing. This fellow said he's going to go to Bible college and be studious and learn some things. I said, you don't want to do that, probably. That's different world from what you're used to. I said, you have to study long hours, you have to pass tests, you have to be able to read a lot. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, look, he said, I've broken Mustangs, I've repaired discs, I've built barns, I've never tried anything that I couldn't do it eventually. He said, I can do this. I said, well, okay. He went to Bible college, took his wife, his kids, and the first semester, he studied till midnight or one every single night, every day, throughout the weekend, and he made D's. Some of you homeschoolers don't know what a D is, but that's pretty low, just barely above being kicked out in the yard. He made D's, but he, he hung in there, you know, he survived it. The next semester, that's the next half of a year, he made mostly C's. And the third semester, he was making B's. An occasional A. Now he did just what he said he was going to do. He succeeded in college. Now you know why he did that? It's not because he was gifted and highly educated and prepared for it. The only preparation he had was in his heart. His heart said, if it needs to be done, I can do it. There's nothing... Parents, you can give your children more valuable to them and precious to them than the confidence, if it needs to be done, I can do it. So what? I've never done it. So what? You've never done it. So what? It's never been done. It needs to be done, so I'll do it. That's the kind of attitude that makes someone an entrepreneur, that makes them successful where others fail. To put it short, it's the kind of attitude that makes people rich. <laughs> It's the kind of attitude that puts them at the top of their field or any field that they choose to go into. Now, not everyone has that degree of confidence, but that confidence was built out of many little successes, many challenges, many frustrations that would have defeated him. But he went on and he endured and he won if nothing more than sharpening a lawnmower blade that didn't want to come off the lawnmower because the bolt was rusty and the threads were stripped. 
and his sockets wouldn't work anymore. So he goes out and he gets a file. And for an hour, he files the bolt until he turns a three quarters into an 11 sixteenths. <laughs> and then he puts 11 sixteenths socket on it. He soaks it with diesel fuel for an hour and he takes that thing off. He didn't say the threads are stripped, you can't take it off. He changed it from a three quarters to 11 sixteenths and he took it off. And then when he got ready to sharpen it, he didn't say this old grinding rock is broken. He fixed it. And then he sharpened the lawnmower blade. And then he put it back on. And when Daddy got home, the grass was cut. And Daddy said, you sure looks nice. Son said, yeah, had to sharpen the blade. Well, I tried to get that blade off and it was stripped. Well, it was, but I fixed it. That kind of experience... A hundred, two hundred, three hundred times in the course of one's youth builds manhood. It makes a man. It doesn't mean that the man has to become a diesel mechanic to be a real man in the end. He may become a doctor, but I'd lot rather have a doctor doing heart surgery on me that had turned a three-quarter inch nut into eleven sixteenths and made it work than someone who said... It can't be done. It's broken. Do you understand that? When somebody gets into my brain or my body and starts cutting around, I want somebody who made it work in spite of everything, who knows it can be done, who never says quit. I want a man operating on me, not a sissy. Do you understand the difference? And so I think men are built through challenges. Through contest, not contest with each other necessarily, but contest with difficulty, contest with hardship, contest with trials. I looked up the word in the Bible, slothful. It, it's just got a sound to it, slothful. Sounds like somebody sleeping in a bed, slothful. Sounds like someone lying on a couch, punching a remote, slothful. Sounds like someone eating potato chips and little yellow pretzel things and sipping Coca-Cola. Slothful. <laughs> it's, words have often follow the sound of the thing they describe. Listen to what the Bible says, some of the things about slothful. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent shall rule. The hand of the diligent shall rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. They end up paying the taxes. Proverbs 12, 27, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Said a slothful man will go out and kill something, come home and lay it up out there and say, well, I'll go out and clean it in a little while. He comes home with his fish and he just leaves them in the cooler. Next morning he says, well, I just don't think I want to clean them. Maybe I'll clean them this afternoon. He goes to work, comes back, Opens the cooler, and the ice is melting, they're all rotten, and so he just pours them out. He's just too lazy to ever get around to cleaning the fish or cleaning the game, and he lets it spoil. That's a slothful man. But the diligent man counts what he has as precious, whatever it might be. I have a boy working for me. He's slothful. Put him out with a weed eater and a pair of goggles, a pair of earmuffs for his ears. 
And when he gets through weed eating, he lays the earmuffs down on the ground, throws his glasses down, drops his weed eater, and goes in to eat or goes home for the day. The dog comes over and gets the earmuffs and chews little holes all in them. Chews them up, maybe carries them off. The glasses, the grass grows up around them, and your lawn mowing, click, you look, and there's a piece, piece of goggles fly off somewhere. Your weed eater picks up a little moisture, and it begins to deteriorate. He's slothful. You have to stay on him all the time. Now, you say, how do you take care of slothfulness? You make it more painful to be slothful than to do your duty, fathers. What you do, you tell the boy, okay, you, you left the glasses out there, so I want you to buy a new pair with the money you made weed eating. But they're out there somewhere. Oh, we're, you left them, so we're going to just put those up in case I break mine sometime. You'll have to buy a new pair. And the earmuffs, the dog chewed a hole in them. Oh, they'll still work. No, I threw those in the garbage. I want you to buy a brand new pair, and I want a better pair than those. You say, but that'll cost $25. I only made 10 weed eating. Yeah, I know. You'll be in debt for a while. You say, you'll end slothfulness like that. You say, my son will hate me. He, he might be aggravated with you for a little while. But in the end, you'll make a man out of it. Proverbs 15, 19. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. See, the slothful man says, I can't walk there. It's full of thorns. Slothful man says, I can't go there. It's too difficult. But the way of the righteous, his way, he can see plainly. His way is made plain. Proverbs 18, 9 says, he that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. See, that slothfulness is, is like waste. It is waste. Slothfulness creates wasting your energy, wasting your time, wasting your tools, wasting your house. See, if your house begins to leak and you just stick a bucket under it and let it leak, you're going to be getting rot up there in your rafters. Your sheetrock is going to start pulling apart and coming down. You just keep letting it leak and... It deteriorates more and more. And so one day I'm going to fix that. You see, you're wasting your house but not getting up there and fixing that leak in the roof. He said, slothfulness in Proverbs 19, 15, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Slothfulness makes you sleepy, makes you just need to rest all the time. Lazy people are or sleepy, drowsy people all the time. I get sleepy if I don't get enough sleep, but a slothful person can sleep nine hours, get up, eat a little while, and then need to go back to bed and sleep a little longer. I know some adult women who are slothful. They have all time sick and feeling poorly and eating and sleeping and sleeping and eating and sleeping and going to doctors and taking medicine and eating and sleeping and resting and complaining and eating and sleeping and complaining and going to doctors and that's their whole life. And the reason is because they're big, fat pigs. They're slothful pigs. And there's men married to them having to put up with them. Mothers, don't let your daughters grow up slothful animals hanging around with no responsibility or no duty. And then Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him for his hands refuse to labor. Just can't put them and make them work. And then he says, 
He coveteth greedily all day long, but righteousness giveth and spareth not. The righteous man has to give. The slothful man, he's marked by unwillingness to give because he doesn't produce. He's not a producer, and so he doesn't give. Proverbs 22, 13 says, The slothful man saith, There's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. Everybody stay in the house. This can't go to work today. Bad out there. There's a lion out there somewhere. In other words, he expects bad things to happen. Can't go to work. to get hurt. Can't do that. that. No. And he stays home. Always make excuses. Proverbs 24, 30. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Here's his conclusion. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thou won't as an armed man. So he walked by and he saw this man's feel the grass growing in his garden, weeds growing up in his yard, and saw the fence was broken down and not repaired. And uh, he said he concluded that a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come. That's the way people are poor. You know, there are a lot of people who say, I'm poor, we need to vote in somebody that will look out for the poor. There are many people in this country who no matter who is in office or what political system rules, they'll always be poor. Always. You could give them a million dollars, and within 10 years, they'll be poor again. They'll blow it all. They will not invest it. They will not save it. And what they buy will run down. And in 15 years, they'll be living in an old 20-year-old trailer with the bathroom floor rotted through. Water coming through the roof, and they'll be sitting there saying, Honey, I think I'm going to mop that roof and stop this rain. She said, Why don't you do that? He said, I will. Would you bring me another one of those cookies and change that channel for me? And tomorrow, honey, why don't you get up and fix that roof? You know what? I think we're just going to move and get us a nice place to live. You've been saying that 10 years. Well, I tell you, life is hard. I, we just... You know, it's just, we need to check more than once every two weeks. And government sends them out a check, and they just keep laying around, lazy, poor bums. They're poor for a reason, and that's because they're lazy. Proverbs twenty six thirteen: the slothful man saith, there's a line in the way. A line is in the streets. He's scared. He's always, he's an alarmist. The slothful man's an alarmist. He's an alarmist about the world's going to end. There's going to be this difficulty, that difficulty. See, a working man's too busy to worry about how the world's going to end, about the sky falling. Slothful man worries about it. As the door turneth upon his hinges. Have you ever noticed a door, wind kind of blows it, makes that noise? Wind blowing all that long. You can hear that old door. He said, as the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. 
you hear the bed spring, squeak. He turns over again. You know, when you ought not be in beds, when you keep the flipping and flopping like that, time to get up, right? Slothful man can't think of any reason to get up, so he just turns over, gets, gets a little tired, turns over again. Gets a little tired later and turns over again. That's the slothful man. He worries. He worries about what he's not gotten completed, and so he's always trying to sleep and never can get a good night's sleep. Nothing like a hard work to give you a good night's sleep. He said, the slothful hideth his hand in his bosom, and it grieveth him to bring it to his mouth. It's so much work. Ecclesiastes 10:18, By which slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. And the roof just falls down around you. Matthew 25, 26, The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knew that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. See, Jesus rebuked a man for not investing his money and producing a return. It's slothful to have money just lying around and not invest it to make something out of it. God expects you, if you've got money, to go out and buy a piece of property and multiply your money and make more money. And if you just can't quite get yourself up to do that, he says you're slothful. He said, but I'm afraid to invest. I'm afraid I'll lose it. He said, you're slothful then. And then Romans 12, 11 says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He said, we shouldn't be slothful in our business. I know people who go out and start a job and just never quite get around to getting back to finishing it up, working for somebody. That person will never recommend them for a job. There are people who go to contracting and once they do four or five jobs, no one wants them to work anymore. Why? Everybody found out they were slothful in the way they worked. Hebrews 6, 12, this is the last of 17 slothful verses. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He even speaks of Christians as slothful in their Christian experience. There are a lot of slothful Christians because their parents made them slothful in their work. You see, the hard work attitude, the responsible attitude, the I can do it, I am going to do it, I'm going to suffer the pain and make it happen, that translates even into the Christian experience. So that the person is willing to press through and be a winner as a Christian and succeed as a Christian. So... I'm speaking today to fathers who have young sons and daughters, encouraging them to make sure that they impart to their children a will to suffer the pain of work, to assume responsibility and duty. But I'm also speaking to fathers that never learned that themselves, who need to force themselves to get out and face responsibility and do their duty. And then I'm speaking to young men whose fathers failed to teach them that. Failed to teach them responsibility. And you say, well, I'm going to blame my father. <laughs> the, 
That, that's what slothful people do. They blame somebody else. You say, it's my father's fault. I can't help it. Okay, pig. You'll always be a pig. Frankly, no one's going to care. Unless you get married and your wife will care, but no one else is going to care. People are going to make their money. They're going to live their life. They're going to buy nice things. They're going to go on living, and they're going to let you be a poor bum, and they're not going to care. If anybody's going to care, you're going to have to start caring for yourself. You're going to have to say, I'm going to quit blaming. I'm going to quit excusing. I'm going to get out and do it. I'm going to be the man. Make it happen. So I just, okay, turn on your bed then. Like the door hands, just go ahead and turn on your bed, pop your pretzels, drink your Cokes, watch your TV, play your computer games, and say, one day I'll be a man. You'll be sitting there bald-headed. Your first wife having left you with your computer games, punching the buttons, watching the screen, saying, life's really been hard for me. I haven't had the breaks other people have had. Listen, a slothful man has to have a break. A righteous man makes his own breaks. So have some backbone. Get some guts. Go out and make yourself the man. All right, I'll stop there. You girls, you marry a man. Don't you marry a wimp. You've been listening to Michael Pearl teach the Word of God. This is a production of No Greater Joy Ministries Incorporated, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Upon request, we'll send you a catalog of books, tapes, CDs, DVDs, and videos by Michael Pearl. Write to us at No Greater Joy, 1000 Pearl Road, Pleasantville, Tennessee, 37033. Or visit us and order online at nogreaterjoy.org.